Uh, you can go ahead and open uh, your Bibles to James uh, chapter 5. If I don't know you, my name's Kyle. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Center Church. And man, we're glad to be gathering together. Uh, so yeah, open your Bibles to James 5. If it's on your phone, open it to James 5. Turn off your reading. Uh, and so, um, yeah, but man, we, uh, man, I'm excited about this text. I, I called Haley on my way up here and I said, hey, you can just be praying for me. I'm pretty fired up today. Uh, and so... Uh, some of you are like, man, you're always pretty generally fired up, so uh, we'll see where this goes today. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be looking uh, at James's call uh, to patience in the midst of suffering. We've got two weeks left in this series uh, before we jump into Advent, uh, which is our uh, man time every year where we uh, just really uh, seek to slow down. And, uh, man, be reminded uh, that Jesus came, but he's coming again. And, man, we, while we celebrate his first Advent, we long for the second Advent uh, and so, uh, man, we've been journeying through this letter together for really uh, 15 weeks now. Uh, this is my 11th sermon, uh, but we broke for four weeks during September. Uh, so about 15 weeks ago, if you can remember all the way back then, we kicked off the series. And James, uh, he begins this book uh, with this call. He says, hey, count it all joy. When you're faced with trials uh, of various kinds. Count it all joy when you're faced with the reality of trials. And man, as we journey, as we kind of jumped into this, this book or this letter, uh, man, we, we saw that it, it was pretty weird or a bit odd uh, for James to begin that way. When you understand the reality uh, uh, and the circumstance of those to whom he's writing to. If you remember, James is writing to a group of dispersed Christians... Uh, who have been dispersed because of persecution throughout the known world. Uh, and so they're not in a place that they're comfortable in. They're not in a place that they know. Uh, and even as they find themselves there, uh, the other thing that's happening is they're being taken advantage of. And, man, they're impoverished. And so we get uh, that this is the circumstance that these people find themselves in. And yet James, at the beginning of the letter, says, Hey, count it all joy when you experience various trials. You see, this man's statement really sets forth the foundation and direction of a letter that calls all who read it to not simply live out their faith when things are good, which is what we commonly do, right? Like it's God's will when things are good. It's not God's will when things are bad, right? And so he, he lays out the, this call to live out faith, man, in every circumstance of life. Another reality we get at the beginning of chapter 1 is that James is calling those, which is really all of us, who experience trials and suffering. What he says, is, it, it, what he's really pushing is uh, that, that we need to allow it to do the internal work needed so that we grow in steadfastness, which leads us uh, to what James says, being whole, perfect, not that we never sin, but uh, being whole and complete. He says, lacking no good thing. I mean, as we hear that today, I want to note really two things. Trials when experienced. I mean, we all experience trials, right? Like every one of us. Like we, uh, man, probably have a laundry list of either trials we're currently going through or have gone through. But when experienced, they are meant to do two things. On the one hand, trials, man, for the unbeliever, are meant to reveal over and over again that their need is greater than what they can fix. And so they need to turn to the grace of God and His mercy. 
Man, if not, if they do not do that, man, the other unbeliever will experience ultimately God's just wrath. And man, so our hope and prayer is that those who don't know Jesus might come to know his grace and mercy, even in the midst of trials, even by coming to the end of themselves. You see, for the follower of Jesus, we also experience trials and trials reveal that God is always wanting to use the trials we face to accomplish a deep work of transformation inside of our hearts. Again, the real issue is not the outside circumstance we face, uh, which is that's usually what we like to point to and place blame on. Rather, the real issue is always our hearts. To say it bluntly, at the end of the day, you and your rebellion against God is the issue. Because guess what? You can have easy circumstances. Man, you can go through your whole life with minimal struggles and at the same time have a heart that is dead and in need of the gospel. You see, ease and difficulty in life is not the gauge of need because all are dead in their trespasses and sins and all are in need of the transforming power of the gospel to bring deadness to life. And while the gospel is both the source of our hope, it is also about the power by which we live different lives and proclaim better news, even in the midst of trials. I've said this before, what God is doing in you through the good and the bad He wants to do through you to proclaim the hope and peace that only comes by way, by, by the way of Jesus. And man, we need to proclaim this peace to a world that is in desperate need of hope and peace. Man, I believe one of the greatest ways that this is shown is by living out what James will call us to today in the midst of suffering. But before we jump into our text, uh, if you're a note taker, I'm going to have you write down two questions. If you're not, I just want you to remember these two questions. We're going to come back to them uh, at the end, but throughout our time today. But the reason I want you to write them down or to remember them is because I want you to wrestle with them throughout our time in this text. And, and not only that, I want you to wrestle with them even as you leave and live lives outside of these walls that are meant to proclaim the hope of Christ. You see, because it's not just about like, hey, you get to 11.15 today, you walk out there and it's just like, hey, what's the day have for me? It's like, no, what happens in here, man? We take it out and we go and we live lives outwardly that proclaim the word that we hear today. And so the first question is this, is Jesus enough? Yeah. Is Jesus enough? Uh, to get more specific, is Jesus enough no matter the circumstance of your life? And then to go along with that question, do your actions and responses to circumstances in your life reveal that Jesus is enough? So today, is he enough? Now, now I think, you know, you hear, is Jesus enough? And the quick, the easy, the Bible Belt Christian answer is, yep. Right? Like, it, like there's, you know, there's no wrestling with that. Like, he's enough. Like, we just say it really quickly. But again, Jesus is going deeper. There's a deeper answer. I mean, I believe that man, oftentimes we uh, nod our head quickly to those things without allowing God to do the deep work of asking us to do the deep work of wrestling and allowing the spirit to man to man bring forth whether or not we believe he's really enough. 
James says that's a cop out. He says, you say you have faith. You say, yep, Jesus is enough. What James says is, show me your faith by what you do and how you respond. Jesus in Matthew 15 says, hey, man, people are really quick to give me honor with their lips. But then what does he say? He says, but guess what? Their heart is far from me. He's saying it's, it's not it's not enough just to say, yeah, Jesus, you're enough and not live out that type of faith to live in a different manner. You see, there is a way to honor Jesus in what we say we believe and it be sinful because it is not how we live and Jesus sees our hearts. Man, I believe this is specifically true in terms of the responses of our hearts. Guess what? Your responses, all of them, reveal where your faith, hope and security and source of enoughness lies. And I know enoughness is not a word. My computer kept telling me this morning, hey, Kyle, that's not a word. And I was like, I don't care. It's, you know, we're just going to go with it. All of your responses reveal where your faith, hope, security and the source of your enoughness lies. But the problem, I believe, is this. We give far too little concern towards our responses. Which is why James spends a majority of this letter talking about the power of our tongue. He, he says, man, if you want to, if you want to be, uh, you know, be patient in the midst of trials, if you want to count it all joy in the midst of trials, he says, no, your tongue is going to reveal your responses, not only with your mouth, but with your actions are going to reveal the source of your enoughness. Are you enough or is Jesus enough? But we give far too little concern to our responses. And in doing so, I believe that we sin a lot and we show ourselves to see self as the source of enough more than finding our all in all in Christ alone. So if in chapter one, we're pressed with the inward work God is looking to do in the midst of trials today, we're going to look at how our outward response to suffering reveals where our hope lies. And so let's look at James five verses seven through nine. James says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Okay, so James on the heels of really, if you were with us last week, man, he gives this severe reprimand towards the rich, unbelieving oppressors. So, so God's people are being oppressed by the rich and he, man, James goes after them. But then in verse seven, he turns once again to these suffering Christians and he says, hey, look, you be patient until the coming of the Lord. What he's getting at is he's saying, look, man, uh, man, we're going to we that is unjust what they're doing. And I'm going to say something about it. But guess what? You be patient. No matter if it changes or not, you be patient until the coming of the Lord. Don't trust in their response. Trust in God. Be patient. Now, let's stop for a moment because, man. 
I think if we're asking, if we're going to ask the question, is Jesus enough? And, and if we're going to look and, and see if connecting that enoughness to this call of patience of soul and response, man, we have to lay out something. We all, all, every single one of us are horrible at patience, are we not? Like we're just bad at it. And, and I think that, that we could immediately say, well, like we could look at those younger than us and be like, well, well, they just have everything at their fingertips now. Like we're the same. OK, right. Uh, on Friday night, um, uh, my nephews came over or some of my nephews came over and and uh, we knew like Haley and I knew within five minutes they're going to be asking for a slumber party. Like and we had prepared ourselves for that. Uh, and we were like, yes, like. We always want you to be able to have slumber party here. Uh, and, and so we're like, yeah, you know. And so we uh, decide, man, we're going to get everyone ready for bed. We're going to watch a movie. Uh, and so we sat down and we start scrolling through and we come to Space Jam. And I told you all a few weeks back I'd taken my kids to see Space Jam 2. Before that, we had to teach them about Michael Jordan, the goat. And we had to disciple them. And, hey, there's a difference here. One movie is better than the other uh, just because of the characters, right? Uh, and so uh, I asked my nephew, hey, y'all seen Space Jam? And they're like, no. And I'm like, who? I mean, your parents are horrible. Like, what are we doing here? And so I take it as an uncle discipleship moment and say, hey, we're going to watch this. And my kids are like, yeah, let's watch it. Uh, and so we start Space Jam. And man, watching that movie, I noticed two things this time around. One is that, and I checked this, the introduction of Space Jam, the opening credits is three minutes and 15 seconds long. That doesn't happen anymore. I don't know if you've noticed, but almost all movies nowadays just start. There's no opening credits. You can save that for the end when I'm walking out, right? Like I don't care. But this thing is three minutes of just pictures and music. Great music, by the way. Uh, go listen to the soundtrack. And, and so they're, they're doing, and our kids are just sitting there and I'm like, man, they're not going to make it. I can barely make it because I'm so used to just like, let's start the movie. And so we get through that. But the other thing I noticed is, well, I forget what platform we were watching it on, but about every 20 minutes, it had two commercials. Okay. It would stop. And these weren't like, are, like when I was a kid, it was like three to five minutes of commercials, you know. This was two 15-second commercials. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, they, they're okay with it for the first two or three times. But on the fourth time, my middle son, he's watching it and it comes on. He goes, he goes what does he say? He, I want to get it right. He said, this stinks. <laughs> and I'm just looking at him like, dude, don't even talk, okay? Like this is nothing. You don't understand, right? Like when I was a kid, I had to, I couldn't just turn on the TV and just immediately rent something. I had to go to a store and I had to hope that the movie was there, right? And then when I got at home, I had to hope it was rewound. And, and then I had to suffer through previews, right? And because no one could find the fast forward remote. And, and so, you know, you suffered through that and then you got to watch it. But guess what? We loved it. Like, that was the highlight of my weekend. So I can look at it and be like, man, look at these ungrateful kids. Like, they don't even know, right? They don't even know. But we're the same. 
Like I've said this before, like we have shopping impatience, right? Like if, if Amazon, if it's not prime, you're not buying it. And if it is prime and it's more than two days, you're going to, you're trying to burn Amazon down wherever it is, you know? Uh, but, but aside from that, like, just think about groceries, right? Like we know that, man, there's a lot of things going on with shipping right now and like you can't get stuff and yeah, but, but uh, even aside from that, like you'll go to the grocery store and you'll come home or you'll talk to someone and you'll be like, how dare them not have any good strawberries in November? Like how dare them? Do you know how crazy that is? Strawberry season is May to July. And we're like, I can't believe that they don't have any good strawberries in November. Like, just imagine if you live, if you were from the 1800s and heard us saying that. We'd just be like, what are you thinking? You're a lunatic. Like, I'm just trying not to get eaten by a bear and you're worried about strawberries in November. Like, come on, man. And when we think about that, like, no wonder we're so ill-equipped to suffer and be patient in trials. Because we want quick escape. We've been going through Revelation and Men's Equip, and man, uh, so much of the teaching on Revelation is wrong because we they they've made it into a, a, a theology of escapism. It's just it's the book of get out, <laughs> and Jesus says no, it's the book of today. Sustain, I'm coming back, and I'll make all things new. We do that with everything, though. I just got to get out of here. We do it with relationships. You see, James, in talking to a a dispersed group of persecuted and suffering Christians, he says, look, guys, I know what you're dealing with. And he doesn't say, hey, try to escape it, try to run from it. It, it, It's going to one day. Guess what? Like, if you can just make it one day, your children's children's children will be able to just rent anything they want off the TV. Like, he doesn't say that. He says, no, be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. In the midst of the good and the bad, wait, but specifically in the midst of their current suffering, be patient and wait. You see, to be patient is to find hope, security, and dependence on someone or something. So today is Jesus enough. And if you claim He is, does your life reveal Him to be your source of hope, security, and dependence through patience? Or are you complaining to Him about not having your life where you want it to be in this season? We're to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, the coming of the Lord, we're going to expound on more uh, here in just a minute. But but the call is to wait dependently and patiently on God with the assurance and faith that God is in control and he will make all things new. This call to wait it is really given weight or authority by way of the example. Uh, James says, and the example I'm going to give you is like a farmer. Who waits on the harvest by waiting on the early and late rains. Now, I've never been a farmer. And there's really nothing inside of me that wants to ever be a farmer. But I think what I know from experience about farmers is that it's probably 98% waiting. You wait on the seasons to change. You, you, You wait on the land to be ready. You're waiting on the tractor to get fixed. You're waiting on the seeds to produce. You're waiting on the rain. You're waiting on the tractor to get fixed. You're waiting on the prices to go up. Waiting on the rain to stop. You're waiting, waiting, waiting. But man, I think we can learn a lot from farmers. And I think that's why James put this in there. Because it's not, uh, uh, I don't believe it's about all those things necessarily. Man, I believe that, that, man, if you're around farmers, farmers, 
Um, man, you see it in their personality. Their personalities are a bit different. They seem to move at a different pace. They don't necessarily seem to be in a hurry about anything. Now, are they hard workers? Yes. Probably some of the hardest. But I, when you get around them, they're just kind of like, they're just kind of, they just seem pretty even keel. You see, it's the waiting that James says is rooted in the reality that farmers realize that impatience will not make the rain come or the crops produce anything. And just as the farmers can't control the rain, we can't ultimately control the circumstances of our life. We try, but ultimately you can't. And so what are we we're, we're to wait? He says, be like the farmers, be patient. He says, establish your hearts to establish one's heart is to stand firm and to trust. It's living the open handed lives of faith and dependence upon God's sovereignty. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. But why, like why stand firm, right? You see, we stand firm because we trust and have faith that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, now you, you've probably, if you've read your Bible or been around church, uh, the phrases like, man, uh, his return is near, like Jesus says that in, in Revelation. He says, man, I'm coming soon. Or, you know, you see it in Peter's letters or Paul, like, say, man, you know, the time of the Lord is at hand. Like, man, Jesus is, he, he's, his return is soon. And man, for some, uh, they read that and that's why they don't follow Jesus because they're like, well, it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come, so they must have been liars. Well, actually, this phrase is both relative and true, but but it's uh, the, the truth is it, 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 and the reality is, is that Jesus's return is nearer today than it was yesterday. That's what like the, the disciples, those writing these letters, they're not saying they're not picking a date and saying, yeah, it's going to be in two weeks. They're saying, no, we know it's nearer today than it was yesterday and it'll be nearer tomorrow than it was today. So be patient. Second Peter three, Peter says, man, a thousand years is but a day to the Lord in light of eternity. So he is near in light of eternity. And then following this example, man, this is where I got fired up. Um, We get the real meat of the text today when James calls us in the midst of patient suffering. He says, do not grumble against one another. So that we do not face the judgment of God. And there's so much I could say here, but I, I, I want to limit myself for the sake of time. But what James is essentially directing us to see is that grumbling, complaining, criticizing these things that go along with this grumbling spirit against uh, it is not simply sin towards others. It is direct unbelief in God's sovereignty and providence to do what he says he'll do. Grumbling is a mark of impatience and a lack of dependence upon God. It is a willful proclamation that you believe yourself to be a better and more capable God than God. And so there's two things I want to present here. First, this is nothing new, which should bring some relief to us, right? Scripture is filled with moments of grumbling and unbelief towards God and His good care towards His people. 
I mean, go to Exodus, right? Like God, by His mighty hand, man, His people, the, the, the Israelites, they uh, are brought out of slavery. They, they've watched the plagues. They got to the sea and God parted it and they cross on dry land. And then what happens, man, God destroys Pharaoh and his army by crashing the water back down upon him, upon them. And then they get on the other side and in Exodus, I believe it's 15, uh, Moses sings this song of remembrance. He says, God, this is all that you've done. He finishes the song and two verses later, two verses, God's people grumble. It says they grumble because the water was bitter. What they say is they say, God, we, we could still be in Egypt. At least we wouldn't, we would maybe slaves, we wouldn't die of thirst. Later they grumble because they, they don't think they're good. They think they're going to starve. Say, so God, like at least we would have food and be enslaved and we wouldn't die of starvation. They're quick to grumble. Man, this is us. You see, Jesus purchases the life of everyone who would follow him by the giving of his life, which guess what? Jesus' death and resurrection is the greater exodus. Jesus brought us out of our greatest enslavement. He allows us to to stand before the presence of God because He was swallowed by the wrath of God. Just as Pharaoh and his army were swallowed by the sea. And He came out victorious. And yet we grumble. As soon as things don't go according to our plan, we grumble. You see, every act of grumbling towards others is in truth a grumbling accusation of impatience towards God. I mean, we do this in big things, right? Like I said earlier, we've all experienced trials. We all understand the nature of suffering. Right, man? And guess what? Like there is a clear distinction in the Bible between grumbling and lament. One's sinful, the other is not. We just often get them confused. There's a huge difference in that. But man, so we grumble in the midst of suffering, which is, man, they, these people are experiencing legitimate suffering. And yet he says, don't grumble. But again, it's deeper than that. Because we do it in everything that doesn't go our way. And when we think about this kind of impatience and the accusation that is, it is, Man, what about your grumbling towards your spouse and your kids? Man, how patient are you towards them? And is Jesus enough? And if Jesus is enough, then your response to them would look different. Because your grumbling towards your spouse and kids is just impatience that God cannot fulfill the work in them that He's doing. You may not say that, but that's the belief behind that. And so what you believe is because you are so impatient and God's not moving fast enough and they're in your way and they're, uh, man, breaking down or causing, uh, man, something to happen in your little kingdom. You have to help control them by anger, rage, raising your voice, turning up your face. Criticizing comments. Apathy. 
saying, well, I'm just going to shut down and never serve you again. You turn to things like alcohol and pornography and uh, overworking. Or just always being cold. We overeat. We run from community. Because we got to control it and we're not patient enough to allow God do the work that he's doing in the other person much less the work he's trying to do in our own hearts. So today, is Jesus enough? And are you patient to allow him to be enough? Man, honestly, I, like, oftentimes, I think I'm enough. And because I've had enough of whatever so-and-so's doing, I'm going to let him know. Let me, let me just hit on one more area, and you're probably going to be like, Kyle, why do you keep harping on this? Um, it's because I don't know that we've had a heart change. And because it's, man, it rules our world right now, social media. Not only social media, but like, because maybe you're like, well, I don't have social media. Well, the words that you speak, James is talking about the tongue, right? And your rage on social media where you spout off all your views and frustrations and impulses may make you feel good and at peace, but only reveals to God and those with eyes to see your grumbling impatience that is worthy of judgment and needs to be repented of. Man, our silly fits of impatience only reveal that we lack trust and faith to believe that when Jesus said He's making all things new, He really is making all things new. Which is why we seek to manipulate, to shame, and even cancel others who can't do what we believe should be done to make our little kingdom secure, safe, and stable. And guess what? It will never be enough. It will never satisfy. And it's fleeting. Because guess what? Ultimately, even if you do all that, it's like a child when you're like a child lays on the floor and kicks and screams and, and, and you know, you deal with that. Uh, but when they're doing it, when they're done, you're like, well, did it do anything? No, because it didn't change your circumstance. Right. That, that type of living, those types of responses never do what they you think they'll do. They only cause you to sin and create brokenness around you. We need to repent, turn from our impatience and turn in submission and trust to the only king that is able to make right what we have wronged. I mean, just think about it. Like, how did Jesus respond to his suffering? We, Christian, little Christ, should respond in the same manner. It said that Jesus didn't say a word. It, when he... <laughs> In, in the garden, he said, man, not my will, your will, right? Like when he's on the cross and those uh, who are grumbling against him, what does he say? Forgive them. Man, in your life, those that you want to grumble against, those you're impatient with, man, like are you, are you looking at them and saying, God, forgive them and let me forgive them too? Or are you saying, God, go get them. If you don't, I am. I 
Not only that, but we need to see that the reason God has us in relationship with others is so that we might sharpen them towards dependence and they might sharpen us towards the same. It's either that or to continue to live as an impatient destroyer of all that stands in your way, all the while preparing yourself. Because guess what? James says, he says, the judge is standing at the door. And so in light of this, what are we to do? Well, James is going to call us uh, to be examples of hope that only comes by dependence. And then he's going to give us two more examples of what this looks like in our lives. And so let us read verses 10 and 11. James says this, he says, man, don't grumble. And then he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right, so instead of living impatient lives that lack faith in God's good plan, we, in the midst of all we do, but especially in the midst of suffering, are to be examples of what dependent suffering and patience upon God are to look like. James says, look, if you, like, if you want to know, like, I'm going to give you some examples. And the first he gives are the prophets. He says, while the, the prophets spoke the truth of what was to come about the Messiah, they also suffered because they spoke out against the sins of God's people. And many were killed, and yet through it all, they were patient and trusted. Now, were they perfect? By no means. Did they always respond the best? No. If you go, you read about Elijah. When Elijah, he, uh, man, him and the prophets of Baal, immediately after that, Elijah is so upset by what happens that he runs away, right? And like he, he just runs from what God has done. And he, he's frustrated. But James says we consider these prophets blessed because they remain steadfast. And steadfast we see in James chapter 1. Which is perseverance through suffering. Because in our trials, when we allow it to have its full effect or full work, it produces what? It produces steadfastness. He says we consider them blessed or blessed. Man, that is not temporary happiness. That is not escape. Many of them died. Many of them died. And they guess what? They, they didn't see the Messiah. Like They didn't see Jesus show up. Many of them lived uh, hundreds of years before. But it's joy regardless. I think one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is in Daniel 3. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and a bit ago, right? Like, we just love those names. Uh, but what happens is they're told to bow down and worship uh, man, the king. And they say, man, we're not going to do that. And so the king says, well, I'm going to burn you in a furnace, right? If you don't bow to me. And they say, we won't do it. They say, man, we believe that God will protect us. But then they say something. They say, we believe God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down and worship you. And what that is, like that—that—that's no. He's enough. He is enough. Even if I'm burned, right? Like they say, do it because, man, we believe God will deliver us. And guess what? In the story, God does. 
I believe that God, like whether a physical angel shows up and protects you from a flaming furnace or, man, uh, you experience the deepest loss of your life. Guess what? God is still there and he's still good and he's still caring for you and he will he will lead you. He because guess what? He's enough. So we don't bow down and worship other things in impatience. We say, no, God, we still say you're good. We can lament and say we don't like this. We can still say, God, you're good. and I trust you. Amen. Then he gives the second example, the example of Job. And Job was a man who lost it all aside from his wife. And just a tidbit of information, the reason that is because him and since they were married, they were considered one. And God said he couldn't kill Job, so he couldn't kill his wife because that would be killing Job. So they're one, and man, his wife doesn't always respond the best. And guess what? Job's doesn't always respond the best. But what happens and what we see is that while Job struggled, he did not curse God. And Job had lost, he had lost all his children. He had lost all his land. He had lost all his animals. He has sores all over him, right? His friends are just judgmental. Like they shouldn't even, they're not good friends. He didn't respond perfectly. At the end of the book, God actually confronts Job. And I love what he says. He says, dress for action like a man, Job. He says, put on your big boy pants, Job. We're about to talk about this, right? And he, he, he lays out, he says, where were you when I created this? Or when I did this? Or have you seen the storehouses of snow and, you know, and, and everything that I've done? Really what, what God is doing at the end of the book of Job, he's saying, Job, who are you? He's saying, man, and you're grumbling. Who do you think you are today? And you're grumbling. Who do you think you are? I love Job. Job's response is one of repentance. Job, his response is this. He says, I know you can do all things. And then he says, and no purpose of yours will be thwarted, which should be good news for the follower of Jesus. Then he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye experiences you. And he says, I despise my independence, my impatience, and I repent in dust and ashes. And today, will you do the same where you see independence, impatience, and grumbling over submission and faith? At the end of the book of Job, following all that, Job, it says Job received twice of what he had. And a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, right. Like, so if I suffer, I'm going to receive twice what I have. They miss the point. That's not what's important. I heard someone say uh, in, in grief share that the point of the book of Job is not that he got his stuff back, but that he got God and God is more than enough. So today is Jesus enough. Today, is it enough to simply have Jesus? Like, man, in your life, man, if everything else is gone, like, is Jesus enough? In every circumstance, is it enough? I believe that while we're quick to answer that question with a yes, our response according to the gospel is to be an example to others through patience in the midst of suffering without grumbling. Because the reality is the Lord's return is nearer today than it was yesterday. And when He returns those things, guess what? The things you grumble about 
and are impatient about, they won't matter a single bit. Like, if we could just get that perspective, who cares if strawberries aren't good in November? Who cares? Now, when you eat a good strawberry, is it good? Yeah. Like, who who cares? Whatever it is in your life that you're like, this is an ultimate thing and this has like... At the end of the day, like, is he enough? Now, does that mean we just sit back and say whatever? No, you're called to be diligent. <laughs> the book of James is like, hey, you say you have faith. No, act on it. Live differently. Be like the farmer who works probably harder than anyone and yet at the same time says, well, I can't control any of this. Do that with your faith. Run to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've got to be enough. The areas that, man, I, I am impatient in, I'm grumbling, man, let me repent of those and let me see, man, in, in place of that, let me see just how enough you are. So I'm going to have Brett come back up and I just want to end with those two questions and just a few action steps. First, is Jesus enough no matter the circumstance in your life? Like think about, even think about those circumstances in your life right now. Amen. As you think about it, lay it before you and say, okay, but Jesus, this is who you are. Are you enough? He is. And then secondly, as you say that, maybe you say, Jesus, you are enough. And you say, okay, but Jesus, uh, Holy Spirit, like, do my actions show that? Do they reveal that? Or am I a grumbler? And I just, man, as soon as man, something changed, I just begin to grumble because I, it's about my kingdom. It's about my peace. It's about whatever, my comfort. Today, I believe what we could do is we could, man, grow as a people of repentance where our actions aren't lining up, that we could grow as a people of dependence. So as we repent, we say, no, God, man, now I need to look to you. Let me learn to depend on you. And then, man, I think the third thing is that we've got to learn to be a people that are transparent with where we grumble, right? We're, we're very transparent grumblers, right? But like we, whenever we realize that, we got to be like, oh, man, I'm grumbling a lot. I'm sorry. Like will you, when you see that in me, will you just say, hey, you're kind of grumbling a lot. And I know I need that. I need my wife, like when my kids are up for the 500th time in, you know, 15 minutes to look at me and say, patience. I need that. Because I'm not. How dare you get me away from my Netflix show? Right? Like, that's it. We need to be transparent. And, and, and in those areas, we're like, man, I'm not dependent right here. And I, I want to grow in that. Will you pray for me? Will you ask me? That's what I long for us to be as a people of, who are patient and suffering. Because I believe we'd have more joy instead of grumbling if we trust in Jesus more. We would frantically quit grasping at all the things around us. I don't know. Let's, maybe we have open hands today. 
I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, as we respond to come and share in communion and a reminder of Jesus who, uh, man, it is the greater Moses that brought about our greater exodus. And uh, that, that, that's where we find hope to trust not only in yesterday, but today and tomorrow. And that his return is near. The New Testament is filled with that. All the time they're talking about his return as being because they were excited about it. Are we excited about it? So I'm going to invite you, Father of Jesus, to come share in that. Man, take time to reflect, to repent, to cry out in dependence. Maybe even to go to someone and say, hey, I need help with this. I'm not transparent. Or I'm not, uh, I'm not walking in patience in this area, dependence in this area. Jesus, we are grateful. That your word is good. Even when it's hard, it's good. God, I thank you that it, 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 it man, it gets to the depths of who we are. That it doesn't, uh, man, just, uh, just go surface level, but it exposes uh, where our hearts are and God, what you want to do. And so let us be a people who are willing, uh, to allow you to do that. God, we know that no plan of yours can be thwarted. So often, God, we, we, we think we know you by what we hear, but God, let us experience you just as Job did. And God, if that means that in turn we cry out and repent, it's an, <laughs> God, may we do it. May we look to you. May we be an example of patient suffering because of the hope that we have in you, not in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.